Welcome back, listeners, to this week's version of If I Only Knew. I am obviously supported by co-host extraordinaire and the star of the show, Matt. G'day, Matt. How are you? Hello, Fred. I'm doing very well, thanks. Matt, we've had a federal budget drop this week in Australia, and it's been quite an interesting one from my profession. Lots of money poured into very practical strategies around psychology in the government's attempt to stem the tide of mental health proliferation, and lots of talk about work. Now, we often focus this podcast on the difference in the generations and opinions towards certain things. And I really wanted to put something out there today, Matt, about the concept of the changing nature of people's relationship to employment. This mission, should you choose to accept it, Matt, may be a little confronting. Mm. And I want to set the scene by saying the generation before me, and and I'm a little bit older in my generation and therefore my parents are uh, you know, on the the uh, the older side of theirs, but these are people that live through world uh, altering events like wars and depression mm. on a global scale. So they've always seen work and the value of work as a privilege and not to be taken for granted. And they always believed in a fair day's work for a fair day's pay, whether they were doing the work or employing people. And Inherent in that is the virtue of hard work and the virtue of loyalty. And that was passed down to me. Now, I'm not going to say when I was a younger individual, I didn't change jobs. I did. Uh, But I also had long stints of uh, very real tenure in key employers and took some pride in being reliable, took some pride in being dependable. Mm. You know, almost, I hate to use the term, but it'll date me, but a company man, if you like. (laughs) Yes, yes, classic. And psychologically, there was validation in that. Mm. It was part of my identity. I had my first boss of influence said to me, if you want to succeed, you have to be the person in the office first thing in the morning that turns off the lights and checks the mail, and you want to be the last one out that turns them off. Mm. And I took that to heart. And then I worked really, really hard, and I was rewarded really, really well for that hard work. Obviously, my boss was getting the greater percentage of the rewards, But that was a known factor. It was the contract of employment. I worked and did well, and he did well off my work. And it was the opportunity he provided me that allowed us to both succeed. As an employer now, I don't see that same tenacity or authenticity from your generation, Matt. Mm. You being excluded, of course. (laughs) Appreciate it. But I sort of felt that somewhere along the line, this shift from... Uh, loyalty and tenure and privilege of work became works are right. My value is what I choose for it to be today. And if I don't like it, I have no fear about just picking up, walking out, going down the road. Mm-hmm. Am I getting it wrong, Matt? What's the what's the prevailing attitude towards work in a generation where we have record low unemployment? There are more good jobs and good people. Is it the lack of deprivation that's changed the attitude or am I just a relic or a remnant of a time that, you know, I'm sort of frozen in? This is a really interesting question, Fred, and one that I can only give my own perspective on, of course. I think I really like the way you've you've framed it generously as a change in values around work. I think that's important in this conversation. I think there's too often a uh, cultural discourse that says young people are merely lazy or young people merely don't want to work or whatever. I think you've you've kind of more um, generously characterized the situation around young people's 
desire to have more in life than work or perhaps desire to to advance their own um, agendas before that of a company just for the sake of that company mm. or something like that. I think I think that's fair and I, I, I appreciate that framing I think that's an important place to start um, the very first thing that came to my mind when you flagged this with me was an interesting discourse in the MBA now, this is a brief tangent, but you'll see where I'm going. And the discourse is that um, professional NBA players are moving teams far more often now than they used to. Um, and there's there's debate and outrage whenever a superstar moves from there, the team that drafted them or from the team that's been at longest, particularly if they're going to join up with other um, superstars. Now, this is relevant because the counter-narrative is that uh, organizations will drop players that have been loyal for 10 years, for 15 years, mm. um, at the drop of a hat if it's a sensible business decision. And the comment wars on YouTube videos are going, uh, are basically a tennis match uh, from one side or the other that starts with, well, they should never have moved. There's, there's no loyalty in this generation of NBA stars and they're making hundreds of millions of dollars and they still can't stick around for two seasons. Like, this is ridiculous. Uh, being hit on over to the other side that says, well, they would would have been dropped if they were loyal. Like, it doesn't matter. You can't trust anything if it's a business decision. If it's okay for there to be a business decision by the team to drop someone, yeah. then surely it has to be okay for there to be a business decision by the player to move on. Um, and I think this is a really interesting conversation. Um, I don't have strong opinions on it in the context of the NBA, but I think it made me think of uh, the idea of, young employees moving on more often uh, because perhaps there's a sense that we don't have that um, reciprocity that you seem to describe with your boss there. Um, and I don't know if that's um, because of a, a lack of like kind of interpersonal connection between bosses and employees or a greater sense of merely being a number in a business um, or, or a sense of, well, my pathway to progression um, doesn't seem to be supported in this place. Um, but so I do think a part of why young people might feel less loyalty toward businesses, might be a, a greater disillusionment with the businesses themselves. Um, and I think there's something to be said for it. Maybe you were especially talented or maybe you're in an especially good place such that you felt like you were being rewarded for that extra effort you put in. I think there's, there's plenty of stories on the other side that I've heard, at least, of people doing all that effort and work and not getting... Um, the appropriate recognition or support yeah. or ability to move on. Now, maybe there's a level of judgment that has to be involved there. And you should say some places are willing to stick, I'm willing to stick it out at and other places I'm not, right? Um, but I wonder, I wonder if there's something about the modern business that differs from the old business that says the modern business isn't geared to keeping loyal workers in the same way that old businesses might have been. Um, I'm not exactly sure about that, um, but I wonder if it's not just young people's uh, perspectives that's changed i wonder if there's a difference in the in the modern work environment that says um we're not um promoting that loyalty in the same way because it has to go both ways i would say i think it's interesting that you say that actually and I, i'm reflecting on it as you speak there's a couple of things that i think jump out at me straight away the first thing i'd say is i don't believe that anybody can claim any generation particularly not the younger generation now are lazy. I've never suggested it. Certainly not. Um, and I don't think it's it's real. I think that people can work incredibly hard. I guess the difference for me is I do see people that make a decision to pick up jobs. And I'll say it differently. I see a confidence that I didn't have to move jobs to advance my position more frequently than I would have. Mm, right. 
So I might have said, look, you can't tell somebody you've mastered a task until you've been in the job for two years. But the confidence has changed to the point where people say, you can't tell someone you've mastered a task unless you've been there 12 months. Mm, right. Okay. When I first got work, Matt, it wasn't long after the recession that we had to have. So I had an inherent fear that jobs could come and go, yeah. even at a professional level. And I dealt with that by seeking out an environment where it was very heavily dominated by merit for effort. So the harder you work, the more you could make. And that was a, a decision I made. I found an industry that rewarded people that way. Right. Um, I didn't go and, you know, uh, go to an accounting firm where they make you work 18 hours a day in the audit department for a base wage. I went to a place where you had a bit of an at-risk component. And that's why I I was I put myself in a position where harder work meant better earnings. Yeah, yeah. And you could build a reputation in. And as you did, you became worth more um, because people knew you and there was a, you know, it was a, an industry that did work on networks. Where I kind of come a cropper now is this idea of, is it uh, an inconsistency or a dissonance in me where somebody works for a year and says, I'm moving on, rather than comes to you and says, this is what I want to do next, you know, I've been here for a year. It's a good place to work. I thought you might give me a chance to do something differently versus I'm leaving to go and do something different. Mm. And I don't see people coming and having those conversations, whereas that's my natural inclination and that's the dissonance. But maybe that's about me or my generation rather than anything being wrong with the current generation. What do you think, Matt? Am I getting it wrong again? <laughs> yeah, a very, very psychologist framing of that. Am I getting it wrong? Like, like, can we have this conversation? But let's frame it around around how I'm feeling, so that so that I'm delicate in this in this uh, dynamic. I appreciate that. I think this is a really challenging one, Fred. Um, and I think it's quite interesting because I suspect that I'm happier having those conversations. Um, it's something my dad has always prioritized, kind of find the, the right place to work, the right group you're working with, the culture, that's what matters first. And then when you're looking at what you're doing, you can, uh, you can have conversations about that. And I think the only experience I can draw on for the other side that you're kind of a bit more worried about is some um, conversations I've had with my girlfriend, perhaps, where she's... Um, felt you know maybe unsupported in her work or, or felt like she could be doing more or could be doing better and i've been encouraging her to go and talk to her you know managers about that and that kind of thing um and, and you know i think that matters i think that's important um i feel like there's a a sense in which young people might have been trained to do the task in front of them and and might have been trained to have a slightly narrower perspective. Um, we talked uh, last week about bargaining and the idea that maybe young people are just trained to accept the price on the tag. I've, I have a feeling personally that the way we school young people at the moment teaches them to take things at face value, teaches them to answer mm -hmm. the question on the test, teaches them to um, to to engage with the problems in front of them rather than to try and see maybe the bigger picture or see the person behind the problem or see the person behind the work. And I suspect there's there's a value in that that allows you to advocate for yourself within the work environment. But again, I think the other side of this, Fred, um, is that in those conversations that my girlfriend ended up having with her bosses, 
she was rarely rewarded for being a more capable employee, for wanting to do something different, for wanting to get paid better because she was doing more work, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I wonder if there's an assumption that advocating for yourself among, among bosses, among, among a hierarchy and a business um, doesn't pay off or that, that you need to move on to, to progress. Um, I think there's an element of judgment that has to be involved here, right? And, and, and I think this is the thing that confuses me most is if you have a great rapport with like your boss or if you have a great rapport with your company or you really like your company's culture, that seems like the, the time in which you should feel perfectly comfortable to have those conversations, right? But if that's not the case, then I can understand why young people would be like, no, nah, no, nah, it's not for me. I just need to get out of here. I just need to move on. I think, I think I largely agree with your sense though of like, well, why do you have to move on to do something different? But uh, there's also, I believe, uh, a sense of resume building, perhaps, um, in yep. that working in a few different places for a few different years can look good on a resume. It can feel like you've gained more experience. And I wonder if, um, if that notion of mastering a task for two years differs a little bit now where it feels like the world is so deeply competitive, perhaps, that rather than being able to work on a craft for a little while, it feels more like you need to have enough names and enough connections and enough networks, uh, maybe at a shorter time frame or a shorter scale, just to make yourself more competitive and to complete your um, checklist of work or whatnot. There's certainly a change in resume or thinking about tenure. There's no doubt about that. Um, you might be surprised, but when I was working, the idea of too much movement on your resume was seen as a, a it was basically a flag for being either an underperformer or unreliable. Yeah. Now it's held up as a virtue. So whereas I would have feared that people would think I was a, an unsafe bet because of too much movement, now people see it as almost... Um, uh, you know, it's sold as the capacity to adapt. For sure. And I also think that it's important. There's still a baseline of how long you stay somewhere. But I would say if I've been a year or longer anywhere on my resume, I feel like I'm not seen as a flake. That's my yeah. assessment. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there, there potentially is some real value to that, this idea of a more mobile workforce. It sucks as an employer, by the way, <laughs> um, because it's very hard to plan one of the things that we've learned to do in business is grow in spite of staff turnover mm -hmm. because the only absolute assurance that we have is that we have what I would call a more mobile workforce than would have been available when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying they're wrong. And I think one of the things that I, one of the things I grapple with is that I always believe rightly or wrongly because of my upbringing, and you just flagged your dad in this conversation, that the way to get ahead is to let the scoreboard do the talking. Mm. And I gave myself permission to seldom ask for things, but to point my boss to the scoreboard and say, if that meets your expectations or exceeds them, how do we share the love? Mm. And again, I chose industries that were very much built on that. It was inherent. I didn't have to arm wrestle because they knew. Um, and, and the threat was if you didn't get what you needed or rewards in one environment, there was a guy down the road that was waiting to snag you and put you onto their team. Mm -hmm. And there's still industries like that now. Any sales-related industry has that kind of pillage the village mentality. It's also the idea of the current environment. What I make up about it is 
there's more mobility in what you do versus when I was around. So once you set a career path when I was your age, that was kind of who you were and what you did. But now you can go from lawyer to human rights advocate to, you know, uh, union organiser to disability, you know, coordination or policy, um, depending on your base skill set. And I, and I never saw anybody with that kind of career movement because I was in industries where career progression was linear and up, not sideways. Do you feel that you've got that advantage? Do you feel that, you know, when you look at it, you know, one of the things that characterises work for you is the prospect that you can, well, we've had a conversation about your career and the idea that, you know, there's more than one way to achieve a goal and you might do, we've had a really good conversation about doing a certain thing for a period of time and then abandoning that altogether and then going into something, I think you use the word more serious later on. Is that kind of more acceptable now? Yeah, it's a hundred percent more acceptable. I almost, if not the norm, then at least um, far from deviant, right? Um, I think that there's a few aspects here that uh, I'm interested in. I think one is the nature of education at the moment. I think maybe uh, maybe the expectation to spend a little bit longer in higher education perhaps um, leads people to feel like they have committed to building a larger set of um, broad skill sets rather than specific industry um, expertise perhaps that makes it feel like it's easier to move around a bit um, I think there might also be perhaps within the professional world maybe a, a greater desire to have more variety in your staff members or something like that I don't know if this is true or not but you know you've brought me along to be a representative for youth voices in this business um, and I suspect that you know in in some of those roles we talked about policy or whatever it might be there might be more of a drive to not just have policymakers who've worked their whole life in policy, but also to have professionals in different areas to contribute to those policies. Yeah. Um, so I suspect there's maybe a bit more demand for that level of mobility as well. Um, I don't know. I think that um, it's definitely my expectation that I'll move around a lot. And we hear this plenty when you talk to young people about their um, career paths. For me, it provides me with a sense of anxious security. Right, which is a bit frustrating. Um, on the one hand, I'm anxious that I don't feel like I have um, an intensely clear uh, career path and that sense of uncertainty and things being up in the air and the work that I must do to um, elucidate the future of my career pathway worries me. That causes me stress. It's, it's hard. It's difficult. The security that it provides is that I do feel a sense of certainty that, you know, I'm lucky, I'm, I'm clever enough, I'm educated, um, I will be able to find somewhere to work, be it in a field that I've studied or a different field or a field I've got experience in, that kind of thing. And so I think that level of mobility provides me a sense of anxious security. Um, I suspect you wouldn't have too many people, you know, thinking about our business, Fred, I suspect you wouldn't have too many people jumping in here and working for a year or two and then looking for a different career pathway, um, looking for a different, like a totally different discipline or that kind of thing. But I do wonder if there's a sense of, um, well, I don't want to be stuck doing one thing, especially after just being educated. I know plenty yeah. of people who finish uni with a vague sense of the kind of work they want to do, but no willingness to fully commit to it yet. And so I think there's definitely a, a disjoint maybe in age or in coming of age where like uh, you'll you'll graduate and instead of knowing what you want to do or, or you enter the workforce, you still don't know what to do, but you're just working 
for a few years, um, trying to get a taste of a few different things to see what they might be like. Um, and I think that's probably pretty difficult for businesses that employ younger people, especially because those employees probably haven't made up their mind yet. And so the time they spend in the business is still making up their mind and they probably won't make up their mind for two or three or four years. And I don't know if that's a level of a valuable reservedness to say, I'm going to keep my cards close to my chest and I'm going to take my time and I'm going to work it out. I think there's something valuable in that. Or if it's merely a sense of the world is deeply uncertain, I have no idea where I'm going or what the future might hold. I, I've got so many options available to me, but I don't know what the best one is. And thus I'm paralyzed by choice. And so I've just got to try a few things. One of those options being uh, able to hold your cards close to your chest seems positive and valuable. Being uh, paralyzed by the number of options you have seems like a problem. And I feel like people move between those at different points. I think what I take from that, Matt, and it's probably a good place to sort of end the discussion is that the, the current generation's comfort with experimenting with their career, which is, a, I think, a lovely thing and, and probably was available to me, but because of my upbringing, wasn't something that occurred to me. But that experimentation inherently changes the nature of the power dynamic between an employer and employee. Mm. And something that you said, which you often do, actually really resonated with me then is the idea that you're employing people into a job that you know your business needs and you've got very clear understanding of what you want, but you're employing people that haven't committed fully to the idea that this is their vocation yet. Mm. And in fact, you can bank on the idea that at best, it's an experiment for them. And in that, it, it, uh, you know, a piece that's caused me some some consideration for quite a long time has fallen into place. You know, new career entrants are experimenting. Mm, absolutely. Generationally, it would have been that they were talking about how lucky they were that they got the job. Now they're saying, you know, it's within my purview to give it a go, see how I feel and make some decisions after a bit of time and if i don't like it you know what best of luck to everybody but i'll go and vote with my feet so i think it's incumbent on employers if that's the case to to keep it interesting and fun and dynamic and and a learning environment and there's a cost to that and you know sometimes we can say oh these bloody kids but they would have said that about my generation too And one of the things I've never lost sight of was that at certain points in my early career, I would have been an absolute shithead to work with. (laughs) Full of himself, you know, high-fiving himself in the corridors. It was the 90s, Matt. The suits were baggier. Um, The one thing I've never done is tried to convince myself that there's something wrong with the attitude of younger people with work. I've just been concerned with the idea that there is a difference that I wasn't keeping pace with. And I think today's conversation has generally been quite eye-opening for me. So as usual, Matt, you know, you, you, you know, one of my greatest teachers, which I find remarkable. Um, The one thing I'll tell listeners uh, that they may not know is that in our working relationship, I've had the privilege of you being very upfront about long-term career and, and in fairness, the uncertainty of long-term career. And rather than concern me, there have been some of the most rewarding conversations I've ever had with people about career. And I know uh, that people that have got your attitude are always going to succeed. 
Um, I just hope you don't sell out and become some sort of corporate drone at some point, Matt. That's my fear for you. Appreciate that. You know, see you in the stockbroking floor, (laughs) you know, talking about derivatives or something. But based on that, we might say goodbye to the listeners this week. And thank you for your time. Um, Matt, thank you again. Thank you very much, Fred. We'll leave you to it and talk to you next week on If I Only Knew. See you guys. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.